Well, that looked familiar. Let's talk some Chiefs, guys. Welcome to the Chief in the North podcast. I am your host, Minnesota Chiefs fan, and for the first time in many, many, many weeks, it's not necessarily a good week to be a Chiefs fan. Now, we'll see because it's a short week, and so Thursday the Chiefs play Oakland, and we'll discover if it's a better week to be a Chiefs fan than we think, but for right now, we are once again in the land of sadness and what-ifs and how did this happen against a familiar opponent, the Pittsburgh Steelers. I really don't know what to say. I, uh, you know, you hope each time will be different, but for whatever reason, the Pittsburgh Steelers absolutely have the Kansas City Chiefs number. It's easy to say it official now. You know, you could say after the playoff loss, oh, but if they'd done this differently, they'd done that differently. And you could say that again about this loss, too. But the fact of the matter is they've lost three in a row to the Steelers, and really all three carried some similar themes, although the last two were close games. Uh, You know, they definitely made the Steelers sweat, I think, a little bit more. But at the end of the day, it just was what it was. The Steelers just have the Chiefs number. They seem to take away so many things that Kansas City does well against other teams. And not just bad teams, but good teams. There are better teams than the Steelers that the Chiefs have beaten this year. I am firmly convinced that the Eagles and Redskins are both potentially better teams than the Steelers. The Texans, perhaps, too. But especially the Eagles. And the Chiefs controlled that game. There's something about the Steelers. I don't know what it is, but it's driving me crazy. There's a lot to talk about. I want to do a lot of mailbag questions today because I just I just don't want to delve too much into things at this point yet. I've got some articles to write. Got some All-22 to watch. But at the end of the day... I want to let you guys drive this episode, so we're going to drive through my topics as quickly as possible and then get on to some pretty angry mailbag questions. And so, I mean, first of all, yes, this felt familiar. Um, It felt very similar to the playoff loss. In fact, eerily similar. Um, Enough happened with the run defense that I know a lot of people are going to blame the run defense. I personally don't, although it was obviously disheartening. That's obviously a big problem they need to look at. But honestly, this was another game where the offense had multiple chances down the stretch and they couldn't get anything done. Um, you know, I, I've had a lot of people talk to me about the, the defense, but I the, the Steelers had 12 points until you're talking late in the game. This, this was not a... This was not a, a game where the offense just never had any chances. If you look at the Chiefs' possessions in the second half... Punt, punt, downs, finally touchdown, field goal, downs. If you look at the Steelers' uh, drives in the second half, first one was four plays, 19 yards, then a punt. Second one was seven plays, 49 yards, then a punt. Third one was six plays, 44 yards, yards, and a punt. The first three possessions for the Steelers were all punts. And this is when this was a 12-3 game. And so if, if Kansas City even scores a field goal on each of the ensuing drives or scores a touchdown on one and a field goal on another, they take the lead or they go ahead. And when the Chiefs finally scored a touchdown, of course, the Steelers managed a touchdown on a play that was just, <sighs> you know, sometimes you get lucky. 
and it happens. And that's what happened. You know, Gaines had the ball bounce off his face and into Brown's arms, and that's just what are you going to do? Chiefs scored a field goal thereafter. But here's the really important thing that I want to point out. The Chiefs scored a very quick field goal. The offense finally came to life. Um, which was almost frustrating, to be perfectly honest. They they score a, a quick, very quick field goal, give the ball back, and the the Steelers' next drive, three plays, two yards, 35 seconds, they have to punt, and the Chiefs get the ball back nearly at midfield. And so they, they start off at the Kansas City 44. They had a minute 42 left to go with a timeout. They had an eternity. This was not on the defense, guys. I'm sorry. I, when you when you hold a team to 19 points, it's difficult to make a case that it's on the defense, especially when two of those points weren't on the defense at all. That was a safety. And then you've got a fluke play. I This really, this was a rough game, but the defense did its job, especially in the second half. They really, the, the real key to this game for me is if you look at, uh, at at the drive charts, you know, you can look at the drives and how they went. You know, the Steelers were forced to punt on their first possession. Yeah, they went nine plays, 34 yards. They were forced to punt. Then the Chiefs give up a safety two plays into their, into their drive. Then the Chiefs get the ball back on a miraculous free kick play, and all they can manage is a field goal. Yes, then the defense gave up a touchdown. But then what did the offense do? Three and out. The next Steelers drive, hey, Chiefs get an interception. What did the offense do? Three and out. Oh, then the Steelers managed to get a field goal, and the Chiefs get the ball back with a little time to do something for a two-minute drill. Five plays, negative eight yards. Nothing. That is not a that is not a chart. And then when you think about what I just talked about happening in the first, in the second half. That is not on the defense. When you're forcing interceptions, when you're forcing a ton of punts, when you're doing I, this is not on the defense. I, I, I can't even explain it any better than that. You've got drive after drive that the offense got the ball in a position to do something and put some points on the board, and they couldn't do it. This game was much more on the offense than the defense, which brings me to Alex Smith. Look, he had a rough day. People want to talk to me about, uh, about play calling. Um, well, actually, let's back up before we talk about Alex Smith. I have had a lot of people ask me about play calling versus execution. Here's what I'll say. I'm not crazy about Andy Reid's game plan. I don't like how little Kareem Hunt got the ball, how quickly they went away from him, uh, especially when you see late what Hunt can do with the way that he can make plays appear out of thin air along with at what Alex did at the very end. Um, but at the end of the day, missed receivers, whether it's guys who were open and weren't thrown to or guys who were thrown to and the ball was overthrown or underthrown or placed somewhere it shouldn't have been, that's not on the coaching. That's just not on the coaching. Um, missed tackles, which was another problem again. And I got to tell you, it's kind of become a bit of a pattern. That's not on the coaches. Gaps that are filled too late by run defenders, that's not on the coaches. Um, drop passes, that's not on the coaches. Um uh, you know, missing missing blitzers. That's not on the coaches. Offensive linemen are taught to watch for blitzes. They're, that's either on Alex or on Fulton. I mean, a bad snap. That's not on the coaches. Execution was a huge issue. And yes, the game plans, I didn't like them. I didn't particularly like Sutton's game plan. It seemed way too similar to the playoff game. But here's the thing. Much like in the playoff game, while it's easy to say, oh man, look at them running the ball constantly, at the end of the day, the defense gave up 17 points. That's it. 
17 points. That should be enough to win you. And yes, there was the safety. But seven, giving up 17 points should be enough to win you games in the NFL. And we just went through what the drive chart looked like. And I'm going to write a little more about that. But why you can't pin this on the defense. They gave the offense multiple chances. And the offense did not do a thing until the last few drives in the fourth quarter. That's just not going to cut it. I mean, the offense, what did they have? Like 20 yards at halftime? I was genuinely concerned about midway through the third quarter the Chiefs were going to break some kind of record for least yards in a game. That's how you know it's not on the defense. So, talk, so I mean, yes, the, the, the game plan wasn't good. I didn't particularly like it, but it created more than enough opportunities to take that game over, and they couldn't do it. Talking about Alex Smith, again, um, you know, I haven't reviewed the All-22 because it's not out yet, but he clearly had a rough game. One thing about having Tony Romo call the game, and he did a fantastic job, is he actually went back and showed All-22 on a few plays where he did have open receivers. And he went out of his way to, to say, because it happened to Big Ben too, to say that you know sometimes it happens. Sometimes you miss guys. Well, Alex missed a few pretty key receivers in a few pretty key spots. He also missed some passes too, you know. He had Robinson open in the end zone. He had Robinson open a few times and didn't find him. And it just it is what it is. Alex has played brilliantly this year. His worst game up until now was a game where he was just kind of ho-hum against the Chargers. This game, he was legitimately bad. He was part of the problem, not part of the solution. Now, he came on and made a few good plays later in the game. That's great. But much like uh, when I talked about the Sean Watson last week against the Chiefs, um, making four or five really good plays at the end of a game does not undo making a bunch of bad plays earlier in the game. And before anyone says, well, it's because they were getting pressure. They were getting pressure when they played the Texans, too. Uh, the Texans were getting pressure on the Chiefs. The Redskins were getting pressure on the Chiefs. The Eagles were getting pressure on the Chiefs. And Alex Smith played very well in those games. He was different this game. He had happier feet. He was missing shots. He wasn't throwing the ball as accurately. He had a bad game. Does that mean Alex Smith is a bad quarterback? No. Does this mean he's necessarily regressing to what we saw last year? I don't think so, no. But I am going to be very carefully watching what happens on Thursday to see whether they bounce back, especially Alex. Because the Alex we've seen through five weeks, Chiefs win the Super Bowl with that Alex. The Alex we saw against the Steelers, Chiefs lose in the first round of the playoffs or their first playoff game with that Alex. It is really sometimes that Simple. They're still a good team with that Alex, but they are not a Super Bowl winning team with that Alex. I hope he bounces back. He's played so brilliantly this year. Um, staying with the offense, Kareem Hunt. Um, I This is where it does get more into play calling. I don't understand why Andy Reid went away from Hunt. I don't understand why he wasn't a big part of the passing game. I don't understand why they didn't run the ball with him more. He had two carries in the first half. And I get that this was a situation where there were uh, they didn't run a lot of plays. But the Steelers, and I mean, you know, Romo said this, they have one of the best pass defenses in the NFL. They've got a, a run defense that's considered pretty bad, and the Chiefs just didn't go after him. Now, the few times that Hunt did get the ball, it seemed like the Steelers were getting really good penetration, so maybe that frightened Reed, but they were getting good penetration on the passing game, too. When in doubt, you got to try to get your best players the ball, and I didn't see Kelsey getting the ball enough. I didn't see Hill getting the ball quite enough. I didn't see Hunt get the ball nearly enough. Hunt is a brilliant player and all it takes is one or two things to go right for him to break a big play and they didn't even give him a chance until late in the game that bothers me um they've got to make kareem hunt more of a focal point of this offense they showed that they were willing to do that against the texans last week even though it was pretty tough sledding for him for a lot of the game but against the steelers 
I, I don't know what happened there. Andy Reid just went away from him way too fast. That was a real frustrating thing. Um, and You know, here's one thing I want to break into before I continue to go with the things that went wrong. At the end of the day, the Chiefs are 5-1. and one. They're at the top of the AFC West. The Broncos and the Raiders both lost in embarrassing fashion, which I find hilarious. The Raiders, I think, what are they, 2-4 and four at this point? The Broncos are 3-2. and two. The Chiefs are still very, 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 very much in control of what happens with them. All they got to do is beat the Raiders on Thursday and then go into a long week or a long uh, almost mini-bye week to face the Broncos, and they'll still be in very good shape. Um, had you told me the Chiefs would be 5-1 and one after their first six games to start the season, I would have been thrilled. And so let's keep that in mind. As we talk about all this stuff, this is one game. This does not necessarily mean a reversion to what we saw last year or regression or whatever. It's just a matter of one bad game. The Steelers have the Chiefs' number. Mike Tomlin is the only coach in the NFL that has Andy Reid's number. I mean, just just completely has his number. Um, the Chiefs just look like a different team when they play Pittsburgh. They don't run a lot of the same uh, motions before plays. They just don't they just don't look the same. I don't know what it is, but for whatever reason, Mike Tomlin and the Steelers are just the Chiefs kryptonite. So it's one game. Now do we have to worry about seeing Pittsburgh down the road? Yeah, we do. We really do. But for right now, the Chiefs are still very, 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 very much at the top of the division. They're very, very, very much in control of the number one seed in the playoffs, their own destiny. They can they can move on from here, and if they rattle off three straight wins from here, no one's going to really care about the Steelers game. So that's, that's your little, hey, back off from the ledge moment as we talk about a bunch of negative things. Speaking of negative things, let's talk about the defense. Um... The defense, like I said, it, it by and large did its job. The run defense was really concerning, though. Um, they, For whatever reason, the Chiefs defensive line, which is t- a talented group that has played very well against other good, very good offensive lines this season. And Tony Romo mentioned this. Seriously, I'm going to reference Romo a lot because he did a fantastic job calling that game. Um, they, they cannot get off their blocks against the, the Steelers' offensive line. I don't know what the deal is there. They can't seem to get penetration, and LeVay and Bell just always runs wild against them. Now, Bell is a good runner, but other teams seem to be able to bottle him up, and the Chiefs just can't. They can't seem to beat the Pittsburgh offensive linemen no matter what. doesn't matter that they've got a few backups in there. I mean, even Justin Houston, just they weren't getting big plays. They weren't able to get off their blocks, and they weren't able to get penetration. Um. As Romo pointed out a few times, Eric Berry wasn't in the game, and that hurt them a lot. You saw a few plays where Sorensen took maybe a wrong angle or missed a tackle. And look, Sorensen isn't a bad player. I like Danny Sorensen. I think he does pretty well, but he's just not Eric Berry. And you can't expect him to fulfill that same role. And that's one problem is sometimes they've expected him to do what Barry did. And that's just not fair to him because, like like Romo said, Barry's unique. Barry is special. There's no one else like him in the NFL. And so to ask a regular player to do that, even a decent player just isn't fair. Only other thing I'm going to say about the run defense, and I wrote a little bit about the run defense with regards to um, formations, and Romo touched on this a lot during the game, so I don't think there's a lot to say there. If you spread out the Chiefs into a nickel formation where they've got two down linemen and then two outside linebackers and only two linebackers in the game, and sometimes not even two linebackers, it's DJ and Sorensen, what you end up with is you end up with six guys in the box that 
four of them are wildly smaller than offensive linemen, and you end up with a huge size and weight advantage. And that's what the Steelers keep doing against the Chiefs. They spread them out and they run the ball. And I am terrified the rest of the league is going to take even more notice of that after this Steelers game because it works. You spread them out and you run the ball, and that's there's just not much they can do about it until Bob Sutton stops automatically substituting out a defensive lineman and a linebacker in nickel and dime sets. He they they're going to have to figure something out there. So the, the final thing about the run defense before we take our first break here, and you know I, I don't. I don't really like saying this, so I'm just going to come out and say it. DJ doesn't look like himself, and I've been fighting saying it for a while. Um, I, there's really not much else to say there. He he's, he's just a step slower. That doesn't mean he's a bad player now, but he just, and maybe he's still, you know, my, my hope is that he's still rounding into shape from his injury, but... He just doesn't look like himself. He's a step slower to the hole. He just isn't covering sideline to sideline as well. And you saw a few plays where he did his signature DJ diving at the feet of the running back, which always works. But when you're just a split second slower to get there, the runner's able to dance around you, and that's what happened. Um, there was there were there were a couple plays where he was just a split second late to the hole, and the problem with the NFL is a split second is everything. So that's another big problem with the run defense. I think the 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 scheme that Sutton set up defended on it depended on Eric Berry and Derek Johnson being extraordinary run defenders, along with maybe Justin Houston. The problem is Eric Berry's out. And I'm not sure Derek Johnson is any longer an extraordinary run defender. And so that's tough to watch because he is an all-time chief. And I really hope he's just getting back into shape from his Achilles because the year he came back from his Achilles, it did take him a few games to really look like himself. And he got hurt a lot later in the year last year. So that's my hope is that he's just taking him a little longer to, to really get back into the groove of things. But for right now, that's something to keep an eye on. And so now that we've now that we've talked about something incredibly sad, uh, let's take a quick break. We're going to talk about the pass rush, and then we're going to spend the rest of the time diving into mailbag questions with a quick uh, preview of the Raiders game. And so we'll get back into that right after this. All right, one final topic from the Steelers game. Well, at least one final topic for me is the pass rush. Once again, I, I just I don't know what the Steelers do differently than other teams. I really I wish I had some some brilliant insight as to what scheme the Steelers are using in their pass blocking that is just the kryptonite for the Chiefs pass rush. Because this season, the Chiefs have been employing a lot of kind of weird stuff. They've been having Justin Houston drop into coverage a ton. They've been doing a lot of things kind of differently. But when they've really, you know, unleashed the hounds at the end of ends of game, they uh the ends of game. The end of games, you can tell I'm flustered from this game. It's just got me speaking not even English. Um, when they went after the quarterback at the end of games, they did well. Um, they were able, and this is, again, with good lines. The Redskins have a good line. The Eagles have a good line. The Texans, not so much, but that's another story. Um, they were able to get pressure. I mean, you remember at the end of the, the Patriots game, where suddenly after a whole evening of barely going after Tom Brady, suddenly, I mean, they were just all over him and it was ridiculous to watch they just can't seem to turn that switch against the Steelers 
and yeah, I don't. I just I genuinely am somewhat baffled by it. I don't know what what to tell you. Um, they just can't seem to get there, and it's it's always been like that for the last few games at least. Um, one thing that I did notice throughout the game is that they did seem the Steelers. That is, they did seem to do a little more bunching up in the middle um, of their offensive line to where it's almost they count on their tackles to win one-on-one against the Chiefs' outside rushers with help from tight ends. Like they, they, It's not like they're sitting there leaving Justin Houston alone on an island. Here's what I've seen them do. They'll have a running back or a tight end helping with Justin Houston, and then they, they, they'll bunch together their interior linemen to basically create this mass of walls between the quarterback and the rushers. And so rather than a pass rusher having the option of making an inside move, he really doesn't have anywhere to go because there's just massive bodies that are right next to each other. That's and look, you know, bunching together interior blockers is not some novel thing. It's not some genius method the Steelers invented. But that's all I could really see. You know, when you ask yourself, why was Chris Jones only a factor on a few plays? You know, why was Benny Logan not much of a factor? Why was Alan Bailey not much of a factor? That's the only thing I could really see they were doing differently, other than just having a good interior line. And maybe that is just it. Maybe they just do have good players. But what I do know is that the Steelers did have some subs in, and the Chiefs still weren't able to beat them. It was a frustrating, frustrating thing to watch. But they need to figure out what it is, because again... They might be facing Pittsburgh down the road. I don't know why they can't seem to generate rush, even later in games. When you know, just a quick thing. Everyone's going to say, "Well, it's because Houston was in coverage." And yes, Houston was in coverage at times, but he was also rushing at times, and he just wasn't getting there. They often had a, a running back chip, or they had a tight end helping out, but they just even Houston for him underperformed significantly. And after that first sack by D Ford, the Chiefs just generated no pressure. And it's it's a bizarre thing. They're going to have to figure out exactly what it is in case they face the Steelers again. Because that's the funny thing. It seems unique to the Steelers. Every other team, while the pass rush isn't exactly as dominant as I think it could be or should be, they're able to generate pressure when they need it. Not so against the Steelers. On a couple of those, uh, a couple of late, later plays, you saw Big Ben just standing back there with all the time in the world. You know, where he, when he threw the ball to uh, to Antonio Brown, which, uh, to be fair, Gaines should have picked off, he just had time to just sit there and sit there and sit there, which makes the throw to Brown all the more inexcusable. It's frustrating to me that Big Ben's going to get credit for this win because, once again, he played poorly. Um, but that's just how it goes. You get credit for the W. Um, but they, they just had a lot of time and for whatever reason, and again, I, like I said, I've, I've rewatched it. There's nothing special they're doing in particular that other teams don't do to the chiefs, but the chiefs just, um, to, to quote Romo and to quote Therese Paler, who talked about this too, the chiefs just cannot get off their blocks against the Steelers. Now, maybe the Steelers hold more than other teams. I didn't really notice anything like that, but it just, they just cannot seem to win individual battles against the Pittsburgh Steelers. they got to figure that out if they might face them again in the playoffs. So, you know, we've talked about a lot of depressing topics. So now let's talk about your depressing topics because I'm tired of mine. And so we're going we're gonna to spend most of the rest of the podcast in mailbag format here. And we're going to start off with, uh, with uh, Turner Davis, 
who you know, I, you know, I put out, you know, hey, send me some mailbag questions. He was one of the first responders after after a couple of Steelers fans talked trash, which one of them was pretty funny, so fair enough. Turner Davis says, should Marcus Peters' complete lack of interest in trying to tackle people both on the edge and downfield be a concern long-term? Um, up until this year, I wouldn't have said so. Um, I remember some aggressive plays Peter has, Peters has made tackling in the past. I don't remember viewing him, and I know I've seen a lot of people on Twitter, oh, yeah, Peters has always been like that. I disagree. I remember him pl- making physical plays in run defense and, you know, on short screens, that kind of stuff, in years past. It seems like only the last three or four weeks that I've genuinely noticed he's always trying to grab the ball instead of tackling lately, which, on one hand... You know, people point to the end of the Carolina game. And that was one of the most unbelievable plays I've ever seen in my life. But the reason it was so unbelievable is because it's rare. You're not going to often be able to just rip the football out of an opposing player's hands. Especially when they know that's what you're trying to do. I mean, they just, NFL players are too good. He, that play against Kelvin Benjamin was a great play. But it was a unique play. And there's a reason it was a unique play. What I see Peter's doing a ton of, he's just he's not even trying to tackle. He's just literally staying standing up and reaching in for the football and trying to grab it out. And it kind of goes with the uh with what I feel like I've seen from him the last three weeks or so. It seems like he's pressing to make a play rather than just you know, he wants to make a big play rather than being content with just making a regular play. And obviously, that's not going to get you far in the NFL, at least on a consistent basis. Um, he did have a pick, which you know was a good pick, although it was gifted to him to, in a sense. But it was gifted to him because he was in the right spot to take advantage of that particular throw. Um, but you know, overall, Peters, I didn't really notice him all that much. I don't think he had a particularly bad game. But his lack of interest in tackling is something to look at going forward because lately, and I don't know why. He just has not been willing to stick his nose in there and go for it. So, uh, you know, Marcus Peters, I talked about him at length last week. And, uh, you know, I, I don't really feel the need to delve into a bunch of other stuff. He seemed perfectly fine to me with regards to his demeanor on the field and all that stuff. He's still a very, very, very good player. A great player. Um, but, yeah, the tackling thing moving forward, it'll be interesting to see because it hasn't always been that way. He has been willing to tackle in the past. And so I don't know about I don't know about how concerning it should be going forward, but, I mean, after three games, it starts to feel like a pattern. Uh, the next question is from a John I. Quinn. John I. Quinn? I don't know. Uh, why not go for the field goal when down by two scores instead of going for the TD with six minutes left in the game? You know, I can see the argument for both. If you're trying to treat it like there's two scores, like you've you got to score twice, then you know you need a touchdown either way. So you might as well go for it on that first drive to try to really gain momentum. I I personally would have kicked the field goal there, but I can see what Reed was thinking. Okay, we need two scores anyway. One of them needs to be a touchdown anyway. Right now we're knocking on the door, and... If he gets a touchdown there, all you got to do is get to the 35 or so on your next drive, and you'll be fine. And so it was really trying to take advantage of the fact that they were on the goal line. Yeah, it didn't work out, and you can say what you want about the call, and you know that could have been called a touchdown pretty easily. But you know they they just they 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 went for it, and it didn't work out. I've heard a lot of people accuse Andy of of calling a game not to lose instead of trying to win, but that's he was trying to win. Right, he was making the aggressive play call. I can't hate on that. The next question is from a Ray Hines. Uh, 
Uh, do you think a local Casey? Oh man, this is mean. Do you think a local Casey U-Haul outlet will cut me a deal if I show up at Gaines' house to help him move? Uh, sure, as long as you tell me who's going to be playing corner instead of him. I get that it's really easy for fans to say, oh, cut him, but you always got to think of, and then what? There's always a, and then what? Anytime you cut a player. And the then what with Gaines doesn't make me comfortable. Nelson is still out. Man, I hope Nelson comes back soon. Um, you know, Gaines has been better as of late, in my opinion. But yeah, that was a brutal play. Brutal play. Had he done anything but what exactly he did. And look, he even, hey, he got his head turned around, guys. We've all been killing him for not doing that. And he did it here. But had he done anything else, even just not gotten his head turned around, the ball would have hit him in the back of the head and it would have dropped to the ground instead. But instead it hit him in the face and bounced right up. You know, do I wish Gaines had a little quicker reflexes to catch that? Sure. That's a game changer. I actually went from, yes, no, just screaming no, which, I mean, it was kind of embarrassing. I, I scared my, my nephew. He's like a one-year-old. But I, what can you do? Plays like that happen. But as far as, you know, cutting gains because of that play, well, and then what? And then what do you do? Because this idea that anyone but gains would be better just isn't true. It's just not true. Okay? So this idea that we should cut gains is silly. I understand people are upset because of a fluke play. But what are you going to do? He is one of the players that is capable of getting on the field without getting the Chiefs roasted. Um... A question from a Tanner Graver. Tony Romo kept mentioning Pittsburgh's plays in advance run versus pass based on how many defensive linemen the Chiefs had in. Can you review? I already have, and like I said earlier, that is exactly what they were doing. It's what Todd Haley also did in the playoff game last year. They spread them out. They get them with two defensive linemen on the field, and then they run on them. That's what they've been doing. And Bob Sutton has got to find an answer for that. The answer used to be get Eric Berry in the box because Eric Berry is a, is a unique and special run defender and you put him in the box and that changed things however Danny Sorensen ain't Eric Berry and Eric Berry ain't walking through that door so they've got to figure something out there um continuing to to move down I had a question from DP he's been a guy who's followed me for a long time did they try to pick their spots in an attempt to steal the game late while saving something for Oakland on Thursday, you know, I've seen people ask me things like this before, you know, where they kind of she's kind of laying in the weeds and kind of hoping to not uh, not reveal anything in the game plan. Um, you know, I, I, I've never really thought there's much to that. I've never really thought that Andy Reid is really the type of coach that's going to sacrifice that much, at least in a close game. We've all seen him shut things down when he's blowing a team out to not reveal stuff later on, but I just don't see them doing that here. The game plan, I don't mind saying it. It was weird. Um, and I'm not just talking about not giving Hunt the ball and all that stuff, but like the pre-snap motion and all kinds of stuff like that just looked different. However, I think people are overthinking this. The fact of the matter is the Chiefs thought they would have Albert Wilson, then didn't have Albert Wilson. He's a big part of the pre-snap motion that they do. They don't have Chris Conley anymore, who is you know one of their starting receivers, who knows the offense inside out, and actually was generally playing the most snaps out of any receiver. Losing Conley was a bigger deal than I think people realize. Um, he just... He, he was steady. He was a good escape valve. He he would only get targeted four or five times a game, but was consistent in coming down with anything catchable, getting a little yards after catch. 
And so I think this was much, it wasn't so much a matter of, of doing things differently for any special reason, but I do think, you know, they're down their entire starting interior line. They're down, you know, the majority of their starting wide receivers. And I just think you saw Andy Reid maybe outcoach himself a little bit with some of the things he tried to do, but you can't do all the same things when you're starting a bunch of guys who don't know the offense. So I think that was more the issue there than anything to do with trying to lay in the weeds. All right, we're going to take one more break. When we come back, we're going to do a few more mailbag questions. We're going to talk about Oakland, and then we're never talking about Pittsburgh again. All right, we're continuing in a long line of sad mailbag questions. Um, I'm asked by John Plazic, was it time to see some Tano considering, or Tano, considering we were being out-muscled in the trenches, maybe sets a stronger edge than Ford? You know, I've had a lot of people ask about Passigno, about when it's time to see him, especially because he's big, he's strong. And so when you've got a, uh, a situation where it seems like the Chiefs are getting out-muscled, yeah, throw in the big edge. I guess I would say if they thought he was ready to do anything, he would be seeing some snaps. And... That's really all I have for you there. I mean, he just, he, they're not, it would be one thing if they were only letting him get on the field occasionally and he were really flashing during that time, kind of like Chris Jones was doing last year early before the injuries forced him to get on the field. But he's not even getting playing time. I would assume it's because they lack confidence in what he can do out there. And given how raw he looked in the preseason, I think they're probably right to feel that way. And I would love to see him see the field, but I do trust Sutton enough, I think, to where if they're not letting him see the field at all, I assume there's a reason. Um, Jared Dunn asks, Smith accuracy issues yesterday, cause and effect of defense or just an off game? I would say a little bit of both. Um, Well, no, you know what? I'm just going to say it's an off game more so than anything else. He just... Alex was just off, and that's a, that's a frustrating thing to watch, but there were just plays that he had time, and he had receivers, and he just didn't get them the ball. He just threw it over their heads, and we've seen Alex make enough fantastic throws this year to know that he can make those throws, and he can make them against tough defenses, better defenses than the Steelers. So I really do think this was more just Alex had a poor game. He just... Uh, he's been playing so well this year, and he was just off. So that was unfortunate to see. Um, so I've got a few more questions here, then we'll talk about Oakland. Um, this is from Seth. Seth, you've got a great name, my friend. People are complaining about everything from Alex Smith, Andy, defensive backs to OLB. The Chiefs have still had every chance to win a very awful game. Still a great team. That's not really a question, but since your name is Seth, I figured I would put that in there. That's right. This is not a meritocracy. This is a weird form of name nepotism. Um, but you are right. They had, they're had a good team that had a bad game against a team that just has their number. So I really do think people need to step off the ledge. Now we'll see what happens against the Raiders. If they lay another egg against the Raiders, it might be time to start panicking. But people have to remember, they are missing their two best offensive linemen in Mitch Morse and LDT. That's a big deal. It's a huge deal. They are also missing, now they're missing their starting wide receiver who saw the most snaps. They're missing Albert Wilson, who's been an unexpectedly important glue guy this year. They're missing their second best player on defense, Eric Berry. Some would argue he's their best player. That's, I mean, the entire defense, parts of it are predicated on what he can do. They are still a good team. 
Now, the problem is some of those guys, they're not coming back this year. So they got to figure out how to win without them. They're still a very good team that had a very bad game. Uh, Larry Roy Carnes third asked me, what's up with, with Iyengar? He seems to be healthy. Is Witzman going to be a full-time starter this year? Uh, if so, could you compare his first six games to Iyengar games last year to see who is playing better? Um, that's a, that's a, I'm going to have to give a hard pass on that second part. No offense, Larry, but, uh, well, maybe I will eventually. Uh, Witzman does not look better than Iyengar by the eye test to me. Um, he misses on stunts and blitzes more often than Iyengar did. That's concerning to me. Um, I am as confused as you are because Iyengar does seem healthy. Um, and they liked him well enough to start him over Fulton last year, but yet he's sitting on the bench. They must like what Witzman's doing. Um, maybe that, you know, maybe the hard pass was a little, was a little, a little harsh. Maybe I could take, maybe I could take a look at that for whatever reason. Iyengar's sitting on the bench. Now it could be that he's still a little gimpy and they only have him out there in case of emergency. Um, because you you got to notice that you know it's not just Witzman, it's also Irving starting over him. So I'm not sure what the deal is there, but I'm guessing he might still be just a little bit gimpy, and so he's there for in case of emergency. And so we got a few more. I have a, a semi asking me about Pierre Lewis. Seemed like he played a lot, which. Again, not exactly a question. Yes, Pierre Lewis seemed to play a lot. It seems like they're really trusting him on downs where they think there might be some passing. I really think there's a battle going on there between him and Ragland. Um, and so, I, and I also think Pierre Lewis, they might be starting to wonder about putting him in there on some passing downs because maybe DJ's range isn't quite what it was. Now, that's not me saying I think DJ is going to get benched. I don't. But it's got to be something you consider if you think a guy has more range. And so I'm going to move on before I get sad thinking about that. Uh, Hunter Tiberius Zool. Wow, that is a great name, buddy. What do we do if Hill is out? Man, if Hill is out, I whew, that means you've got a starting receiver group of DeAnthony Thomas, uh, Demarcus Robinson, and who? Uh, you know, I, you know, at the end of the day, whoever they decide to put on the field, like Chesson or whoever, it's really, <laughs> I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but it's going to be weird. Um, especially if Wilson can't go. Um, I'm interested in seeing what Robinson can do. Um, he was open and when he had catchable passes, he caught him. So I'm curious to see what Robinson can do moving forward as they game plan this game against Oakland. They... I think are going to have to really factor him in more. And I would like to see Alex trusting him a little bit more. And so, you know, I, I don't, uh, I, he's the one guy that seems like he might be able to make some plays and Hey, D'Anthony Thomas made a huge play. He's got a certain skill set. He's not a guy you want to count on a ton as a receiver, but he can do a few things with the ball in his hand. But yeah, if Hill is out, if Wilson's out, that's going to be a tough game for the chiefs because, for one, they haven't really seemed willing to formulate game plans around Travis Kelsey this year, except against the Texans in the first half. And so I'm not sure what that would ultimately look like. So we'll see what happens with that. I have I saw today on Twitter that it was ruled that Hill didn't have a concussion, which if I'm the Chiefs, I would still play that one really careful because he looked definitely uh, shook up on the sideline, which by the way, the, the defender that came in and just lowered his helmet and slammed it right into his helmet. I'm amazed. No one's talking about that. Everyone's talking about Mitchell's shot on Alex, but that to me looked like just as much of a cheap shot. Um, 
I had Lance Mosier ask, how is Benny Logan doing? He taking double teams and letting linebackers run free. I feel like I never see him make a play. I would like to be wrong. Uh, Logan, like everyone else, had a rough game against the Steelers. Until then, I've loved how he's played. He's been strong at the point of attack. He's, generally speaking, been able to eat up blockers. And he's been able to get more pressure on the quarterback than what we were seeing from Poe last year. But much like everyone else... Um, he seems to have adopted the Chiefs' weakness to the Steelers, which is something I was really, really hoping would be different. I was really hoping we wouldn't, we would, he would be a difference maker, because um, I've seen him play well against Pouncey in the past. But he, like everyone else, did not. He did at least he didn't flash to me in a live watching and in a quick rewatch, but. I mean, we'll see on the All-22. Run defense is a tricky thing, and it's important to remember that just because a team is successful running the ball, that doesn't mean every run defender did poorly. All it takes is one or two guys missing an assignment. And if I were to pin it on anyone, I would say I think there's more responsibility for the linebackers and the secondary players than the defensive line for the success that they had. A couple more here. Uh, Aaron Elder asked, is Tomba coming back this week? I have absolutely no idea, but I would love to see him back. He's had time to rest. He's had time to get healthy. The team really needs a shot in the arm right now. Uh, after their first loss and things feeling kind of rough, he has traditionally played well against the Raiders. It would be great for him to come back. I believe he can after six weeks. So this this would be a great time to see him come back. And so... Um, with that, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking here at a few more mailbag questions, uh, trying to figure out if there's a couple more here. There, a lot of them cover the same ground. So if I missed your mailbag question, a lot of it's because it's already been covered during this podcast. And so that doesn't mean that I didn't think your mailbag question was good. It just generally means that I, I, I covered it a little bit. Um, one question here, Brian Ackley asked, is there anything we can realistically do to stop the run without compromising everything else if we face Pittsburgh again in the playoffs? Um, here's what I would say. If we got to face Pittsburgh again in the playoffs, I'm not sure how different a game plan you really need because as much as Bell hurt the game, he didn't swing the game. They were still able to stop them enough to give the offense multiple chances Pittsburgh offense still only put up 17 points. They still forced multiple three and outs. They still forced multiple punts. They still made Big Ben make some bad plays. I'm not sure how much they really need to change. Yeah, you don't like Bell running wild on you, and that's rough, but that doesn't become nearly as much of a factor if the offense can do anything. The main thing they need to figure out is how to score and move the ball on that Pittsburgh defense. That is just it. That is what ultimately it comes down to here. Blaming the defense in this particular game is, to me, a red herring. This is not this is not a defensive problem. Um, again, I and I'll, I'll be writing on this this week. When you look at the drive chart and you look at what happened with the Steelers' drives, there were multiple plays where you just you go through it and you see, you know, interception, field goal, punt punt, punt, uh, then a touchdown, then punt. I mean, this they really were not moving the ball at will. They punted on their first possession. The Chiefs had an opportunity, you know, if they even moved the ball down the field and get a field goal there to just get some momentum. It was the offense that lost this game. I would, I would, I would maybe, I'm not even sure I would say it was 80-20. I'd say more it was like a 90-10 thing. Yes, the defense has a lot of things it could be better at, with regards to the Steelers, and I spent a lot of time talking about those things today, but 
ultimately, it was the offense's failure to move the ball against the Steelers, which was in part not giving the ball to Kareem Hunt, in part the offensive line playing poorly, but in large part Alex Smith just having a very off day. Um, you know, and then in part, yeah, Andy Reid needs to take some blame, and that's where you talk about with Kareem Hunt and that kind of stuff, not running some of the same movements that we've seen in other games. But by and large, uh, Mike Tomlin defensively has Andy Reid's number, and that's just how it is. So they're going to have to come up with something new and different to throw at them if and when they see them in the playoffs. But really, I, I cannot stress this strongly enough because one of the next, one of the the last question that I was going to look at, but I kind of roll into this. Someone asked me, uh, and I'm scrolling up, I can't find his name. Why does Bob Sutton suck? Which, oh, here it is. It's Chiefsology. Why does Bob Sutton suck? Well, he doesn't. Anyone that's blaming the defense for a game where they forced multiple punts and only allowed 17 points, they are not paying attention to what was happening here. Let me think. We've got how many failed drives by the Steelers here? So you got a punt, there's one. Interception, there's two. Punt, three. Punt, four. Punt, five. Punt, six. You got six failed possessions by the the Steelers. You have uh, a touchdown. You have got two touchdowns. And a field goal. That's it. They really did not... Oh, I I apologize. They didn't even have a field goal. They had two touchdown drives throughout the course of a 60-minute game. That is not a failure by the defense. That is not a failure by the defense. Oh, they did have a field goal here. There we go. Yes, the defense could have played better, but the offense was, was atrocious. Atrocious. There's a huge difference in that. Even in the first half, where the defense didn't play as well, they forced a punt on the first drive. They they got an interception on the third drive. They did manage to force a field to hold and force a field goal to where they gave up seven points by halftime. And it's just the Chiefs couldn't muster anything on offense. If the Chiefs play the regular offensive game, they win that game by what? 12 points, 11 points. So this idea that Bob Sutton is to blame, and like I said, this is an incredible red herring to me because Bob Sutton isn't the one missing tackles. Now, does he need to adjust for the lack of Eric Berry and for maybe DJ's game changing a little bit? Yes, he does, but the defense did enough overall. All right, one final topic, and then we're going to get out of here. Uh, Chiefs, Raiders, Thursday night. Um... This game is unexpectedly important. And by that, I mean more maybe from a psychological standpoint for the team. Um, you know, here, here's the deal. They are, they're 5-1. and one. They're, they're at the top of the AFC. They have every opportunity to run away with the, with the conference still. And so taking one loss doesn't change that, even if it's an ugly loss, even if it's an, a loss that brings back bad memories for Chiefs fans. They've got every chance to really do well here, but it would be really great to see them bounce back. The thing is, this still isn't a must-win. They can lose to the Raiders and then you know come back strong against the Broncos, but here's the deal. The Broncos, by, <laughs> by getting pummeled by the Giants, which is hilarious to me, by the way, um, the Broncos, by getting pummeled by the Giants, put the Chiefs in a situation where they really don't have to win against the Raiders to hold on to the division lead. Now, here's the thing. With the, with the Broncos sitting at 3-2, and two, the Chiefs have an opportunity here if they beat the Giants to really, or the Giants to beat the Raiders, they have an opportunity to really take a stranglehold on the division. The Chargers are way out of there. The Raiders are just lost, which can't remember who kept talk, calling them a paper tiger. Oh, it was this guy. That's right. Just sitting here patting myself on the back a little bit. They look like a paper tiger. They look lost out there. Um, 
And so if they can beat the Raiders, which, you know, I'm just calling them a paper tiger. And now, of course, I'm going to, like, get us cursed. So don't worry. I'm sitting here knocking on wood right now. If they can beat the Raiders, they're still a couple games up on the Broncos, and they've got a chance to play the Broncos upcoming to where they could just seize the division. I mean, get become, you know, what, three or four games up on everyone else, and that would be huge. The Broncos, in the meantime, they got to deal with the fact that they don't have an offense. Yeah, the Chiefs had one rough offensive game. The, Ra- the Broncos have had multiple rough offensive games. So all is not lost. Um, the Raiders have been playing really poorly as of late. They can't seem to stop anyone, really. They Their offense looks anemic. Uh, Marshawn Lynch just hasn't been what he was. Uh, he was the first couple games, but he seems to have dropped off. Derek Carr came back from that injury way too soon, in my opinion. I think that's a terrible plan for his long-term health. Um, he traditionally has played very poorly against the Chiefs, whether it's at home or on the road, short game, long game, doesn't matter. Um, what I'm curious, if I'm the Raiders, what I would do is I would spread the Chiefs out, much like what the Steelers did, and try to run the ball with Lynch 25, 30 times. And I am curious if the Chiefs could stop that because they've been missing tackles and Lynch is a dangerous runner when you miss tackles on him. So I'm curious what they'll do. I'm nervous about this game, much more nervous than I was because what happened with this game, the Steelers game, and I think the reason so many Chiefs fans are more angry and disappointed than they would be is that this year felt different. It felt like things were going different. And then to go out and see a game that was just so much more of the same, now it makes us really afraid that those first five games were a mirage. I'm hoping they weren't. And this Oakland game is an opportunity for the Chiefs to show that they weren't and to show that the Steelers game was the anomaly. And that's the opportunity that they have in front of them against an inferior Raider squad. Make no mistake, they are an inferior squad. If the Chiefs go on the road and struggle against an inferior squad... Well, then it, then it might be time to start ringing a few more alarm bells in Chiefs Kingdom. In the meantime, regardless of everything else, it really is still a very good week to be a Chiefs fan. Thanks for listening. Please go ahead and uh, subscribe, uh, review, rate, do all those things because it really does make a difference. Um, I appreciate you listening. I look forward to talking to you guys next week. <laughs>